Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the UXR podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to be sitting down with Stevie Yap. He's the director of research at a company called Zero and is building out an ever-growing research team. We talk about a few different things in this episode, but most interestingly, I think, is his path into research from academia and a few of the stops along the way. And I hope you really enjoy listening in. I'll see you on the other side. Uh, here is Stevie App and myself. everyone, and welcome to another episode of the UXR Podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by uh, my friend and fellow researcher. Uh, his name is Stevie Yap. He's the director of research at a company called Zero, which is one of the largest accounting companies in the world. Is that right, Stevie? Something like uh, that? I wouldn't say largest, but one you're, of you're one the largest right? that... One of the large, hopefully one of the largest, but one of the largest that uh, supports small business for sure. So awesome. Yeah. So uh, here we go, Stevie. Uh, so we're going to talk about a few things today. Um, definitely going to be focusing a little bit on um, the transition from academia to industry research, um, talking about a little bit about hiring. Um, but before we do that, I think it'd be really cool to hear a little bit about your story um, and how you ended up in research and leading a research team and all that good stuff. Sure. Um, so let's see. Um, I originally was an academic researcher. My background is actually in psychology. Um, I did academic research for eight years out of a university setting with all the trials and tribulations of that, including teaching, doing research, public publishing articles and things like that. Um, a while after eight years of that, I, I decided it was time to um, make a change and switch into the um, non-academic kind of research sphere. Um, at the beginning, I didn't know, to be completely frank, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I didn't know how to break into non-academic research. I didn't even know what that looked like. Um, so I did a... a I had a brief stint as a, as a junior um, uh, research analyst in the customer insights team at Shutterfly, um, um, which is a California, a Silicon Valley based um, uh, company that focuses on um, photos and photo related products, um, if you're not familiar. Following that, I, I moved back to Toronto, Ontario, and started a consulting firm. Actually, and I and I did that for a few years. Um, there, I was I kind of beat the street and kind of learned. You know, I hit the ground and learned how to be a business owner and what it meant to do research outside of an academic, uh, outside of the academic world. That's, After that, that sounds a I, bit like trial by fire to me. Oh, it was definitely trial by fire, um, let me tell you. Um, but it was a great learning experience. I felt like in, in those couple of years as a, as a small business owner and, and a self-employed professional, I really, I, I felt like I, I got my MBA um, in, 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 the, in that couple of years because I kind of had to. Um, um, after that, after that I, I went and um, started a startup called Hire Up. Um, um, did that for a few years. Um, then after that, 
um, we exited that company in uh, at late 2019. Um, that that company and that platform still exists today. It's um, in Canada. Um, it's right now being un under the umbrella of a national charity called Raising the Roof. Um, following so following that, I joined uh, FreshBooks. Um, which is a, another cloud ac accounting company. I was there as their um, um, first and only uh, researcher. Uh, well, sorry, first and only dedicated uh, UX researcher. Um, was there for a few years, led the uh, research function there. Um, and then for at the beginning of 2021, uh, joined Zero, um, where I am today as the uh, director of research for the Northern Hemisphere. So that that's that's a pretty interesting uh, journey you have there. Um, I think there's probably a few things that are worth sort of touching on, but I think maybe the first thing is if we can go high level and talk about you started as someone who's doing academic research. Now you are an industry researcher leading a team. Super high level, like what are the big maybe mindset shifts or the big learnings? Uh, that you have had, you know, that are different in terms of what you know and what you do now versus what you thought or, or, or what your mindset was at the very beginning in terms of what research is and how to do it? Good question. Um, there's a couple things there. First, I think one of the big mindset shifts that I took was my, was, how should I say this? My attitudes towards non-academic research. Going through graduate school, there was a lot. There was a lot of talk, or a lot of kind of this mantra around non-academic work being less than, or being something that wasn't going to be interesting. Um, I had, you know, colleagues and and advisors and things refer to non-industry work, sorry, non-academic work as quote unquote the dark, joining the dark side, right? Um, what I think was really interesting and something that I did not know as a graduate student um, and as an academic researcher um, was that there's a lot of interesting meaningful work to be had in non-academic settings. Um, the, the, it, isn't, it wasn't true that, that I wouldn't be able to choose my own destiny, uh, to choose my own work, to do work that was interesting and meaningful that was self-directed. Um, it wasn't the case that you know, depending on the the, the type of role that you have, um, and the and you know what you seek out in terms of the org types of organizations you work with, that's an important caveat here. Um, you you do get to pick and and work on work that is you know meaningful to you and you find rewarding um, in a you know in a larger organizational setting. Um, so that was a big mindset shift was that there are interest that there's interesting work to be had, that there's innovative work to be had. Um, and also the relationships that you build with people um, are very different, I think. I was under the impression before um, I, I went into the private sector, I was under the impression that the relationships that people built were relationships built around like a business relationship, um, which they are. But I was really surprised to find um, that the relationships I built with people, both as an independent business owner and consultant, and as a, a member of a you know a three thousand plus person company, that the relationships that I build with people are, are real relationships that that have real meaning and real connection in them. Um, that was a surprising thing for me as well. <clears throat> that's that's super interesting. Um, 
I wonder if you could comment on um, why you think that, uh, you know, so if you're in graduate school, right, that is many years of commitment in terms of education and, and uh, research. Also, you just finished up probably four years of uh, undergraduate school as well. Um, when you think about the people who are maybe providing advice or teaching uh, in an academic setting, um, do you have any ideas for why they have, you know, those points of view that that definitely didn't jive with your experience? Um, and and if if you do have any thoughts there, you know, what do you think that means for folks who are maybe in academia right now and trying to figure out what they want to do? I, so I do have some thoughts on this. I think one of the main drivers of this is that there's a lack of knowledge. There's a lack of understanding because a lot of the people that are providing advice in these settings are people that have never experienced anything other than academic work. So there's a lot of assumptions to um, assumption making as, um, and, you know, driven by, you know, maybe preconceived notions around what it means to work for a, a, a non-academic organization like a for-profit company, a corporation, um, or, you know, a an, another type of organization that isn't non-academic, or sorry, that isn't academic. Um, um, so so I, I think there's a, there's a lack of knowledge. Um, building on top of that, I also think there, in, in certain sectors, in certain fields, there's, and in certain academic institutions, there's a, there's a resistance to gain that knowledge. Because I think one of the things that, you know, one of the things about the academic world is that um, a lot of graduate, and, and I'm not saying all graduate programs in all fields of study, but a lot of research-based graduate programs are, are designed in a way to, to create the idea that it's a means to an end, which is an academic job. And doing research is something that is restricted to work in a, in a university. And if not a university, then some sort of not-for-profit or government agency or something like that. Right? Yeah, that makes a lot um, of sense. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe this is a good chance to, to dive in on, on those who are in an academic setting and are considering or are definitely interested in moving into industry research, what are the assets they already have just by the fact that they've, they're, they're in this program, they're doing the work there, um, stuff that they are naturally bringing to the table that they might not know is like really valuable already? There are plenty of things. Like first off, it's just the, you know, you know this, the audience that, that we have on, on this podcast is mainly like UX UX uh, researchers. So, so um, I imagine a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast probably are in some sort of research-related field of some sort. Probably in you know more geared to social sciences, but you know not necessarily just social scientists are listening to this. Um, that, but the skill set that you that you bring to the table in terms of your your actual research skill set is something that is that is a huge asset. Um, um, I think that you know there's a lot of deep understanding of research and research processes that that people kind of take for granted um, in, ac in in the academic world as an academically trained researcher that that is hugely valuable 
um, outside of academia. But there's other things as well, too. Uh, one of uh, something that I think that often is overlooked is the ability to take a complex problem, an ambiguous complex problem, and figure out a way to solve that. I mean, that's literally what you do as a graduate student. What you do as an academically trained researcher is you take questions and you solve them um, and you figure it out. And then you communicate the results of that back in some way, shape, or form to to people. Um, that's a hugely valuable skill set that a lot of that a, that I think a lot of um, um, academic researchers take for granted. That that ability to 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 do very well in in ambiguous situations using um, um, and solving ambiguous problems. Um, the third thing I would think that I think is is really valuable that often is taken for granted is our ability is an academic researcher's ability to communicate. Um, you know, I most like I've seen plenty of people who get a lot who get very nervous at public speaking, get very nervous at talking at at speaking about things to 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 large audiences. Um, that's something that, as an academic researcher, you're kind of trained to do right from the get go. Like in you know in, at my during my time at Michigan State University, I was teaching classes of 300 plus students on a on a on a weekly basis, speaking to a large group of people and conveying complex information to lay audiences in simple ways that they can understand is something that I had weekly practice in for years. That skill set in and of itself is, is very valuable in a lot of organizational settings. Um, yeah, those are uh, big things um, that I can see that are valuable and often taken for granted. Yeah, for sure. Um, so looking into, let's, let's kind of pivot a little bit and talk about, mm -hmm. you know, the, the challenges that, that many folks are, are probably facing. And from, mm -hmm. from what I've heard, there's a lot around like, um, you know, not, not knowing how to uh, put together um, some kind of, uh, put together a resume that, that actually gets them an interview. So definitely a lot of rejection happening before the interview happens. Um, mm -hmm probably something a lot around just missing context, not understanding what the hiring manager is looking for. Um, as a hiring manager, when looking at folks who have, who, who are coming from an academic background, what are some of the things that the mistakes or the challenges that, that you see facing those kinds of individuals? And um, if you have any recommendations on things they can do to mitigate that or to present themselves in a better light, we'd love to hear those as well. Yeah. Um, first, I would say understand the types of organizations that you are that you are applying to, um, and understand the structure and the the types of roles that you're applying to. Um, I I made this mistake as a as a you know newly minted academic researcher trying to find trying to find uh, their feet in the in the private sector. I was applying to every role under the sun. I was not paying attention to you know, what the role was, and in particular, what level the role was. Um, um, something that I would say is, is an important piece of advice is be humble in your, um, your quest to find a role. Um, a lot of academic researchers, I think, and they, you know, for, for good reason, they're coming in with a lot of knowledge and a lot of skill set um, and a lot of experience. But with that said, though, there are still a lot of things to learn for an academic researcher 
um, in a you know, and I, I can't speak to organizations that I that I that I haven't been part of, but you know, primarily I've worked in the tech sector so far. Um, what I can say is there's still a lot of learning to be had, you know, once you get here. So, and I find that sometimes folks who, especially if they've you know coming out of a a, a storied you know research career as as a PhD um, student or and or a postdoc and an early career academic, um, um, there's there's an assumption. Sometimes some people make an assumption that they are that they are the expert. Um, what I would say to those people is take a step back and evaluate and just consider the fact that you are that you have do have a lot of expertise, but there's also a lot to learn. And if you take that humble approach to your cover letters and to your your applications and how you see yourself, um, you know, fitting in, um, you can get a lot further. Um, and I'm not saying that you know you necessarily need to you know start at entry level roles, um, you know, in all sectors. But what I'm saying, what what I would say though, is an entry level role um, as as a researcher in the organizations that I know, um, that, that's you know large tech companies, um, is is a definitely a fulfilling role that that um can can lead to you know quick and quick um career progression um if you're willing to come in with a growth mindset and a a learning approach um to what you you know to what you're looking for in that role Um, the other thing the other piece of advice i would say is talk to people in in the sector or in the industry that you're that you're looking to get into, um, I'm getting I'm getting right now I'm I'm currently in the process of hiring and I'm getting resumes and CVs that are literally you know cut and paste from an academic um, what they use to apply to an academic job and that's just not going to that's just not going to um, um, make it to the next level because it doesn't highlight the 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 skill sets that are needed for this role. Um, so I would say talk to people in that in the industry that you're looking to get into. Under get a better understanding of what you um, what is kind of expected and what are what's normative for that area, um, and take a humble approach and try to get experience to and try to get experience early career experience in that sector, whether that be internships. Um, um, you know, trying to do some kind of like independent consulting for someone in that area or something like that to show that you have a growth mindset and you're willing to take the leap and learn about what is needed um, in that particular field of work. I think that's, yeah, that's really good advice. And I think um, one thing, I, I don't come from a graduate uh, student background, but one thing that always blew my mind when I was starting out my career, um, when it was told to me was was that, you know, reaching out to people is free <laughs> and you'd be surprised how many people would, would take that message and, and respond and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, asking questions and, and trying to make connections with people is, is really good advice. And from my limited experience, um, spending time with a lot of folks in the academic space, perhaps professors or, 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 uh, academics are not quite like that, but I know a lot of mm-hmm. senior researchers who will, you know, as long as it's a, a well thought through message, uh, yep. email or whatever, will gladly respond. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. And I have a special, like for me, for example, like, like people reach out to me, uh, often, um, people from academic, you know, from academic backgrounds, um, probably because, you know, they're, 
connected, you know, through LinkedIn or something like that. Um, um, and I'm always, I'm particularly happy to respond to people that are coming from academia because for one thing, we have a shared kind of history. Um, and, um, you know, and again, like, again, it goes back to that assumption about, you know, private, the private sector being quote unquote, the dark side. I mean, I mean, no, it's like, that's not true. Like there, people genuinely want to help each other out. Right. Um, I mean, you know, you and I, Alec, like we, we met each other through a similar kind of networking type of thing. And like, it's, it's, it, there, it's, it's really about building relationships with people and helping each other out. So I'm, yeah, like you say, I'm always happy to um, talk to people um, and, and, you know, give advice, you know, when, when I'm, able to and i would definitely encourage people to reach out to people and you know go on linkedin and you know see if you can find somebody um who might be you know who might come from the same background as you and in the industry that you're interested in learning about and reach out to them and maybe they can introduce you to other people as well too um um, that's just how you know things that's how you gain the knowledge and experience necessary in order to to get your feet into a a um, you know a particular industry or a particular field of work and succeed in that area. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so so one final thing that I'd really like to touch on is this idea of like doing projects. Like I know for you and and with your career, you set up a, a, an independent consulting firm and, you know, we're trying to drum up business and, and all that good stuff. Um, that's not the only way to necessarily go about doing that. You can, you can do them not as a business as just as like case study style projects and whatnot. But I think one of the things that, um, certainly in the conversations I've had with hiring managers that really makes them feel like, uh, someone from an academic background really gets it is if they can see, you know, actual conceptual work that they've done that would, that they could see applying in their setting. Like they understand we got to move fast. We got to figure out where we want to invest our research time to make sure that we're building the right thing, but we also have timeline, all that kind of stuff. Do you have any thoughts on how to kickstart projects or do that kind of work? Um, you know, assuming that you've never done it before and let's say you're in, you know, year three of your PhD and you're not sure this is for you and you want to switch to something different or whatever, like what would you recommend? Like, where's a good starting point? How do you think about that, that next step? So there's a couple avenues, I think, uh, you know, like not everyone has the, 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 the privilege to, you know, start, start a business or, you know, or have the motivation or, you know want to start a business and that's completely fine. Um, other things involve seeking internships, um, especially during graduate school. If someone is, you know, in a graduate, you know, or still in a graduate um, setting, um, often summers are spent, you know, teaching a class or something like that, gaining the teaching experience that they may need for an academic job. Take one of those summers and do an internship in a, in a applied setting of some sort. Um, it doesn't even necessarily need to be out, you know, in a, in the private sector per se, but see what's out there in terms of um, internships, you know, contract positions and stuff like that that you can do for a summer. Um, in Canada, there's there, there's co-op positions um, that 
that um, that are available to to current students um, at, a, at a lot of companies. I've worked in the past. I've worked with several co-op students um, in, in research settings that current graduate students at, at various um, universities who came for a three month uh, time period, worked with me very closely on in um, in, you know, on our a program of research. Um, and ultimately, both of these people um, ended up in um, um, both the people I'm thinking of at the top of my head um, ended up in the private sector. And they were able to do that because they gained that initial experience so they could demonstrate to potential hiring managers in the future that they 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 had they had um, knowledge and experience in that kind of field of work and that in that way of working. Um, it also allows you to kind of speak the lingo as well. And I think that that's a big, a big um, um, thing. Like I did not know that decks were called decks in the private sector um, until I did my own, you know, uh, a, a, an initial experience as a, as a junior customer insights analyst at, um, at Shutterfly. Um, um, and it also, I think another thing, you know, related back to the, uh, to the mindset shift, I think it also exposes you to people and it exposes you to people that you can connect with. And you realize that there's a lot of really smart people out there and that you, there's a lot to learn. Um, and if, if you, if anything, I think doing these types of experiences will kind of help people create that humble learning mindset that I think is very important here. Um, but back to your original question. Um, so there's looking for internships and things like that. Another thing that I've seen is people just go and again, not everybody can do this and it's, and, um, but if you can go and try to, you know, devote some time and energy to, um, um, you know, doing a, you know, trying to find an organization or a or a group that might need your help that you know perhaps in the not-for-profit space or something like that or even in, in the universities that you're associated with um, and try try to gain some experience in that way by seeking you know you know doing like pro bono work and stuff um, again I, I I want to acknowledge that you know doing pro bono work is 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 a high, is a privileged thing that's not available to everybody but if that is something that you have access or are able to do that can also be a an asset as well. Yeah, I think th I think that's great advice. Um, and even you know, even if you've got really limited time, you have other jobs and whatnot. Um, think about how you could package it into like two hours of work a week or one hour of work a week, yeah. and that's yeah. a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Or or talking to also you know, coming back to networking, also talking to people that have done it and can help and can help coach and mentor you in in packaging the work that you've already done in ways that make sense to people. Just simple, like, like nobody cares how many publications you have. That shouldn't even be on your CV, for example, right? What you should be highlighting is that project that you did that didn't get published, but happens to be a data set that you analyzed from the Department of Defense or something like that, or that, that's, more, that's more of a, a applied setting or could be framed as a, a applied question. Um, that you know, that, you know, highlighting that project might be, even though, quote unquote, it didn't get published, but it doesn't matter because it highlights what you can do and what you can offer to this organization that you're trying to join. Yeah, yeah. totally. I love that. Okay, Stevie, uh, that was a lot of great advice. Um, it was lovely having you on the, on the podcast and I uh, look forward to the next time. 
Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here. Cool. See y'all next time. Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. And uh, I just want to say, if you haven't already, uh, don't forget to check out all the amazing talks about product design and research over at Learners or joinlearners.com. We produce new talks every week with amazing talent from around the world. And it's all 100% free. And, you know, we're just trying to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to learn on equal footing. And so we'd really love 